When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 1305795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. Limited, AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Young Investors Podcast. We've got a very special episode coming at you today. Mm. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, or I guess on Spotify as well, you can watch video on Spotify, then yeah. you already see. But we don't have to deal with lag today. No. We, we don't have to deal with any of that, you know, breakage of the wires some somewhere along the line between yeah. uh, Canberra and Victoria because you're here with me. Hey. hey. Yeah, we've had we've had some bad lag problems the last couple of episodes. It's been Just the last in particular. Two. Yeah. It comes and goes, I feel like. I think it's both of our internet is a little bit patchy at times. So, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me out oh. to, the, to the studio, to the office. It's, uh, yeah. I get to see the whole gang and... Uh, See that there actually is work going on over here. I, I surprisingly, I wasn't sure for a while, but <laughs> there is. <laughs> there actually is. There, there are humans that work here. Imagine if I just like completely constructed this fake. Like, <laughs> it's just a green screen. <laughs> oh, me, me and the guys, and there's just yeah. no one here. There's it's no just, one here. It's me yeah. in an empty room. It's like a tiny little cubicle of a. Yeah, of yeah. An office. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just in a conference room somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's good to have you here, dude. It's good to have you here, and yeah, uh, hopefully these in-person podcasts always go a little bit haywire. I don't know. There's just something about <laughs> us being in the same room at the same time. Yeah. That uh, just I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know. It just flows a bit freer. I think it's just yeah. So we'll we'll see. Freer, we'll, looser. Yeah, I, I would looser. use the word looser. But yeah, looser. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Yeah, we've um we've got a couple of things that we'll, we'll talk about, and yeah, we'll just kind of see how we go. We may end up just riffing through a, a bunch of stuff, and yep. we'll try and answer a, a few of your questions uh, as well uh, today. Um. Yeah. Should we? Uh, what are we? What are we talking about? What are you going to talk about today? Yeah. So, filings? well, yes. Yeah, so we've got thirteen F filings. I'm going to be honest, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff Shh. to talk about. <laughs> Don't give it <laughs> There's away. There's a couple of things that are crazy. <laughs> 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 that you can't miss. No, there's nothing crazy there, but there are a few notes that we'll, uh, we'll kind of talk through. Uh, we got US inflation that was reported, um, US uh, October's inflation reported right. last week that we'll talk <clears> about. Uh, I'm going to talk about 
the end of a very long court battle between uh, McDonald's and Hungry Jacks. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, what have what have you got? Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about uh, the Las Vegas Grand Prix because that's happening this weekend, and there's been so, there's so much interesting stuff to talk about with that. Um, it's quite an ordeal, really, hosting that uh, that race. So I want to yes. talk about that a little bit because I'm a big <laughs> F1 fan. Yeah. Um, but also we got a very interesting uh, news story that Warren Buffett, the man, the myth, the legend, he's in a he's in a bit of hot water at the moment. Um, so there's actually a little bit of drama. Uh-oh. Yeah, Warren Buffett <laughs> drama, which doesn't happen very <laughs> that, often. That's a rare sentence. That is a very <laughs> rare sentence. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about what's going on because being picked up a lot in the in the media at the moment as to what he's done and yep. what the issues are and. Um, Interesting. And yeah, it's it's both. You can side both ways. You can say, yeah, Buffett, mm, that mm. probably wasn't good. And then you can also side being like, ah, it's really nothing. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, you you might have to take down that that po- that big uh, picture yeah, of uh, Warren Buffett. Who knows? Oh, I don't know. I can't see myself. I'll just hold my hand. Up <laughs> yeah. just... Not sure if people could see it. But... D- don't don't mind. Yeah, they probably can't even see it actually with this framing. But anyway, yeah. is what it is. Well, with that said, today's episode is uh, brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of financial data and company filings and manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days and also get a $50 off coupon if it's your first time signing up to to their paid subscription. That's seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors. So yeah, go check it out. Now, Hamish, um, I think logically we start with the 13Fs, but- I yes. kind of want to talk about this Warren Buffett scandal. Yeah. Do you want to talk, you want to talk through that for a little while yeah. first up? Yeah. Because I think I this is actually pretty interesting. So as I kind of alluded to um, in the intro there, there, there is a lot of a lot of chatter around mm. um, Warren Buffett. There was a, a an article published by ProPublica. And what they found is over the last few decades, they found three different instances where... Warren Buffett might have been doing a little bit of personal stock trading um, ahead of, in stocks, ahead of what Berkshire Hathaway was going to do. So he was essentially trading the same stocks that Berkshire Hathaway was. Um, Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to go into a little bit more detail. So the ProPublica uh, article says, on at least three occasions, Buffett has traded stocks in his personal account in the same quarter or the quarter before Berkshire bought or sold shares of the same companies. Doing so before the conglomerate's moves were disclosed to the public. Right. Uh, it also says these trades may violate Berkshire's ethics policies authored by Buffett himself, which require, quote, uh, all actual and anticipated securities transactions of Berkshire be publicly disclosed before Berkshire employees can trade the stocks personally. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so there were three different... Um, I'll, I'll talk you through the three different times that they found there was a bit of a conflict, and yep. then we can kind of talk about. Yep. Oh, and we, yeah. we should say the way that Pro uh, Republica, uh, what is it? Pro is it Pro Pro Republica? Pro, Pro Publica, uh, how they know about these trades is they got some leaked um, uh, tax forms, I think. Of, yeah, of Buffett, IRS think. forms. So that's like how that. they. This is so, well, it's they don't know, obviously release the actual tax files, but um, this is. Uh, 
Yeah, it's they've had a look at them. Supposedly verified. Yeah, they've had a look at them. They cross reference with what Berkshire's done in the past, and then they found a couple of uh, couple of things. So, yeah. what they found, the, the most notable one, yeah. um, they've written here. Um, they say Warren Buffett, the, uh, the legendary investor known as the Oracle of Omaha, repeatedly sang the praises of Wells Fargo in an interview with Fortune. The bank, Buffett said, has come closer to an effective business model. Um, than any other big bank by some margin. He detailed the ways in which Wells Fargo was more valuable than it seemed uh, and compared its chair to Walmart founder Sam Walton. Um, The interview was published on April 20th, 2009. So this is ages ago. Um, But apparently, Buffett was so influential that Fortune noted he had caused a 20% plus jump in Wells Fargo shares um, in the previous month simply by expressing confidence in the bank on TV. (laughs) Now, on that day, Buffett also privately sold off $20 million worth of Wells Fargo shares in his personal stock trading account. Ooh, interesting. That's yeah. the one that they're taking issue with. So that's, that's, the first, right. that's the first big notable one. They also noted two other instances. In October 2012, Buffett made uh, another trade. So over several days, he sold $35 million worth of Johnson & Johnson shares um, at that point, Buffett. Uh, sorry, at that point, Berkshire had effectively revealed that it too had sold Johnson and Johnson shares from a quarterly filing. So, um, we're not exactly sure what came first, um, yep. but both of those trades were around the same time. Uh, but then Berkshire had the problem is that Berkshire had thought, so Buffett sold in that same quarter that, uh, but yeah, Buffett sold personally in the same quarter that Berkshire did. However. Berkshire then went on in following quarters after Buffett had already mm. sold to continue selling down their stake. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he's there clearly has at least to, to some extent personally sold shares in the company before Berkshire went on to sell a very yeah, large, before the flood of a Ber- much larger amount. Yeah. Um, and of course, just the fact that Berkshire is selling obviously would move the stock as well. It's crazy how yeah. he just goes on TV and talks about Wells Fargo and the stock moves so 20%. significantly. Hectic. Um, so there is, you know, uh, something to be said about people personally trade, people involved in Berkshire personally trading before um, uh, Berkshire makes those moves. Yeah. Especially because Buffett is basically Berkshire. Yeah. <laughs> like when we say Berkshire traded, we're saying Buff- Buffett traded yeah. <laughs> through Berkshire. I guess we're saying Berkshire because, yeah, we're trying to separate company yeah, stuff from, the from personal stuff. Yeah. So Buffett is his personal trading account. Yeah. Um, so they were the first two, right? And then the, the third instance, in August 2009, Buffett uh, appeared to move in his personal portfolio in the opposite direction of Berkshire's portfolio. He sold $25 million of Walmart stock in his personal account, uh, even as Berkshire almost doubled its stake, which uh, had previously held steady for 15 quarters. Uh, during the same quarter. It's unclear which transaction came first, but no matter the order of events, it raises the question of why Buffett made one choice for his own portfolio and the opposite choice for Berkshire investors. Hmm. Um, So that's the one where I think it's less of an issue because of what you were saying before, um, how it's it's quite likely that he just... He didn't want there to be some kind of conflict. Yeah. He didn't want... It's kind of like he's abiding by the policy, which is... He doesn't want to personally own a stock that uh, Berkshire is trading. Yeah. Um, although he did, I guess, already own the stock. Yeah. But, um, but he it, sold it before yeah. Berkshire then went and did yeah. some stuff. And it's important to know, it's really hard to understand what is actually going on because we only have a couple of instances of where he sold shares. Like these are from, these are tax filings. So this is where Buffett is reporting 
he, he sold a stock and therefore had a capital gain or a capital loss. There's no information about when he bought it or how long he held it for or anything really like that. It's just, you know, that, that he sold at a certain time and had yep. to file with the IRS <laughs> um, to report that. So, um, but yeah, this is the one that may, is the most explainable, yeah. I think. Um, if you're really criticizing these trades, I think this one's the most explainable. And the other two have elements of being a little bit... Yeah. Um, the first sketchy. one with the Wells Fargo is probably the most like questionable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Where he does this interview, he pumps Wells Fargo, the stock goes up by what, 20 something percent. And yeah. then on that same day, he like conveniently sells, what was it? 20 something million dollars, 20, yeah. 20 million dollars worth of Wells Fargo shares in his personal account. Yeah. So that's, that's the setup. And I don't know what your take is, but like you could probably make an argument. He, he's broken his own rules like yeah. around personal trading accounts versus, yeah. you know, he's an insider at Berkshire. Yeah. And he knows what he's going to do with Berkshire. Yeah. And he probably has technically violated his own rules around personal trading. Yeah. I, I would say, I think the key word there is technically. <laughs> yeah. Just because of the the sums that we're talking about here are so minuscule in relation to his net worth, which is yeah. 99% Berkshire. Um so technically is the right word, I yeah. think. Technically, yeah, he has violated what he said. Um, uh, and the sums do seem big, but as a percentage of his wealth and even as a percentage of how much he traded personally over th that period, yeah. it's a very small amount. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about it right now. That's what we're going, we're going to set up. These are the trades that happen. Make up your own mind. But then in the grand scheme of things, again, you can argue that, yes, it was wrong. But mm. in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Does it yeah. matter? And yeah. you could you could argue, yes, it does matter because it's about morals and ethics and True. it's about upholding what you say you're going to do. Yeah. But let's take it a perspective, you know, is is Buffett uh, deceiving or, or abusing Berkshire and the, its shareholders to yeah. personally profit? Yeah. Because when it comes to insider trading, like that's, that's what you're kind of worried about. Yes. Is that they are... Um, being, they are, what's the word? They are using, they are abusing the system yeah. to personally profit. Yeah, yep, exactly. And when you start to actually look at the sums involved, it just doesn't seem like, it looks like it's, oh, this is a big issue, but it's actually a complete non-issue. Right. And it looks like that because of what you said, because of the size of the investments that Buffett's making personally. Yeah. I mean, 20 million bucks, the guy's worth 120 something <laughs> billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. I think Becky Quick was saying it's like less than half a percent or something like less that. Less than half a percent of his, of his net worth. worth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he said here, um, I've got the stat. <clears throat> Overall, Buffett's records show he reported at least 466 million in personal stock <clears throat> sales between 2000 and 2019. It's a relatively modest sum for a person reported to be worth <laughs> over a hundred billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, Buffett has in the past described the process of finding a stock for his personal account in amorous terms. It's like finding a new girl to me. But at a Berkshire shareholder meeting in 2016, he waved away speculative questions about his trading, uh, personal trading by saying that the vast majority of his money uh, is in shares of Berkshire, not his personal account, and that he planned to donate almost all of his billions in wealth to charity anyway. Mm. Yeah. It's like, yeah. even if he's... I mean, even if he is enriching himself and being a bad player, yeah, <laughs> all the money he makes is just given to charity. <laughs> so yeah, it, it 
in the end, it just makes it just a complete, uh, yeah, it really is not, it doesn't really, um, have anything of, of substance, but yeah. it is funny that he does trade personally. And it seems like he does that for fun because he's not able to maybe invest in some of the companies that uh, he would like to, because Berkshire's too big. Yeah. Um, there's kind of that limitation. So he plays around with, you know, a small amount of money, $500 million, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. just a little bit of his wealth. Yeah. Um, which does make sense because, um, yeah, more than anybody else, Buffett has been the guy who just is obsessed with finding companies. Like that's what he yeah. loves to do. So it makes sense that even when scale is an issue at Berkshire, that he would want to continue to do that at a smaller level in, in, in or a smaller scale in some capacity. Yeah. Um, um, Becky did an interview with Charlie Munger and asked right. Charlie what he thought of the situation. And I'll, I'll read you the transcript of what Charlie said. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, yeah. He said um, he's just he's getting so loose these days. Yeah. He's just he's ninety nine and he just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> so I'm gonna te- I'm gonna tell it how it is. Yeah. Um, uh, he actually swore in this in this little clip as well, which is quite funny for, from the ninety nine year old. Oh, he boy. said, uh, "I don't think there's the slightest chance that Warren is doing something that's deeply evil to make money for himself. He cares more about what happens to Berkshire than what happens to his own money." He's giving away his own money. He doesn't even have it anymore. To give away his last hundred million that he has on earth, and then having done that, they say, you dirty son of a bitch, you're <laughs> taking advantage of Berkshire to make money. It's not a plausible argument. It's one more ridiculous yeah. thing that is said about Berkshire. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, that's that's as plain and simple as you could you could put it. <laughs> plain and simple. Yeah. So so there you go. Yeah, I don't know. What what's your take? Does, does this bother you in the slightest? Oh no. No. Um I mean, I think I think you, you said it. I mean, maybe there's an element of like, well, he, he's made all these big statements about abiding by the policy and then there's some, you know, some moments where he yeah. hasn't done that. But we're talking about three trades In over like the course decades. of, I think, two, two decades, I think it was, yeah. that they, they were looking at his, his, um, his tax documents. So And like one of them isn't really even questionable. No, exactly. So and you're really talking about two. One um, of them's like, eh, it could go either way. And then one of them, one of them's like, nah. Yeah. That's not great. Um, and, and yeah, the, like his personal investments are a fraction of his wealth. And then these trades are a, a, an even more of a smaller fraction of yeah. his personal trades. So yeah. it's a fraction of a fraction. It's it's, yeah. uh, it, it's pretty insignificant, I think. Yeah. But it makes a good headline for, uh, what is it, ProPublica? Uh, ProPublica. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They got a good article out of it. The way they wrote that article too is like the classic, like setting them up. Yeah. And then bang. Yeah. This guy's a menace. Yeah. We got him. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> got him. Ladies and gentlemen. We got him. <laughs> we got him. All right. Well, Warren Buffett, uh, slap on the wrist and we move on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what do you want? You want to talk let's, about 13F filing? Yeah. Let, let's do 13Fs. I don't think there's going to be, we probably won't stick around too long on yeah. this just because there really isn't all that much uh, going on. Yeah. It was a quiet quarter. It's been a quiet, I feel like looking back over the year, has there been any really crazy investments that we've seen from institutional investors? Nothing off the top of my head that was outstanding. I mean, we did follow, um, we're kind of curious about um, uh, Bury's uh, short against um, the S&P and the NASDAQ. And we'll, we'll yeah. talk a little bit about that because we have some kind of closure on that. Yeah. Uh, well, some some closure. But I don't think there was any, nothing really stood out as being... This time around? Or this, just this year. Just this, this year. year in general. Did um, Lee Lu, I think Lee Lu loaded up on Google. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was that was earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. been the Activision Blizzard stuff with Buffett. Oh, yeah. 
But okay. I mean, there's nothing like groundbreaking. No, here. nothing, nothing groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we, we've got 13F filings, which of course the institutions, financial institutions that have more than a hundred million dollars in, in assets, uh, have to file every quarter report which stocks they have. And then uh, as a result, we can see what trades they've made uh, during the quarter. Um, so first up, we've kind of got, uh, I thought we'd just kind of go through who did nothing, uh, which there's a, there's quite a few people who we like to follow who pretty much did absolutely nothing during the quarter. Yeah. Lee Lu is on that list. Um, <laughs> yeah. Norbert Lu was also on that list. Although the one change that he made was a, uh, 0.73% position in three month three month treasury bills. Right. So okay. um, you know, that's a crazy investment. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Put some money. Load up the truck. Yeah. Whoa. In a three month bill. Um <laughs> Charlie Munger did uh absolutely nothing. Um as he has for I think uh many, many quarters. Many quarters now, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Guy Spear is another one as well. Um he's he also been did. inactive for quite a while. He yeah. And that's what you kind of get with a lot of these these value investor guys. I mean, sometimes yeah. they go multiple quarters or a year or even more than a year yeah. without even making a single trade. Yeah. And you got to remember why that is the, <clears throat> the, the fundamental reason why that is these, these guys all subscribe to the same principles of investing. The strategies might vary a little bit, but all the same principles. And one of their principles is that they're not, they don't go in, out, in, out in finding like hundreds of mediocre investments per year. They're in, out, in, out, in, out. Mm. They're much more focused on just biding their time, just watching from the sidelines and just, when they get the one golden opportunity, which might come along every five to 10 years, like you might not get a great opportunity like for many, many years, but when it does come along, that's when they pounce. So normally when you see activity, it's worth talking about. It's significant, but chances are you probably won't see that much activity. Yeah, That's absolutely. Kind of the reality. And, and even though there's no activity, you know, in the last couple of quarters from some of these guys, if you look in their portfolios, most of them have a couple of significant positions that they've held for a very long time. And those positions, a lot of the time, have done very well. So they, yeah. it's them not making changes. But yeah, as you said, they've kind of built these positions in yeah. companies that they trust and that they, they find value in. Um, so uh, yeah, those were, the, those were the guys who did pretty much nothing. Um, in terms of Berkshire Hathaway, uh, I thought I'd just segment them out. They also pretty much did nothing, <laughs> but I thought I'd just mention them separately yeah. um, just because uh, everyone kind of likes to uh, keep a finger on the pulse of what, the big um, news, isn't it? Yeah, what, what uh, Buffett is doing. But yeah, they yeah. pretty much did nothing. Um, the biggest change was two biggest changes were they sold the last bit of Chevron, which I think was at its peak about a five or a six percent position in the Berkshire portfolio, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, but that had already been selling off that position in previous quarters. The recent quarter was just a less than a one percent change. So it was yep. literally the last like crumbs of that investment that they sold off. The biggest buy uh, during the quarter uh, was they bought a Liberty Media uh, Corp. Um, right. However, it's uh, they bought the two different types of shares of, of that company. Uh, but it represents just 0.1 and 0.05% um, of, I that's of Ted, the portfolio. Yeah, Ted or Todd. I think Ted or Todd has experience investing in Liberty from the from the past, I seem to recall. Right. I'm not 100% on that. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean- when, It's so small. Yeah. When it comes to these tiny positions, you, you have to believe that it's it's probably Ted and Todd and not- yeah. um, um, well, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, yeah, true. Because Warren wouldn't been doing. He would have been doing that in his own little personal account. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hey yo. Um, so so yeah. Um, a lot of people doing pretty much absolutely nothing. The two people who made some moves that I thought I'd talk about were 
uh, Monish Prabhai, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll also talk about Michael Burry. Monish Prabhai. Um, so at the beginning of the quarter, he had uh, no US positions. Wow. Um, so yeah, last quarter he sold everything, all of his US positions. He had a bit of Micron that he got yeah. rid of, and uh, the Brookfield, Brookfield, I think, as well. Yep, that's correct. Uh, off the top of my head, that's correct. Um, yeah. Monish obviously has significant uh, positions outside of the US. So when you see nothing in there, it's not as if he's in cash. Um, he has positions in in Turkey and, and yep. all kinds of places. Yep, India. Um, yep. But he's back. He's back investing in uh, in US companies. He uh, he added some positions. Um, he added three companies. Uh, and they're all resource companies, actually. Interesting. Which, um, yeah, I can't say I'm super familiar with uh, the the whole, uh, particularly the US resource uh, market, let alone uh, any other market. But um, yeah, the three companies were uh, Alpha Metallurgical Resources, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Right. Uh, that company is a coal supplier and a mining complex, uh, coal mining complex in the US. Then there's Console Energy, which is a coal energy company. And then Arch Resources is uh, the second largest supplier of coal in the US. So you've got coal, coal, coal. Interesting. <laughs> so there Very you go. interesting. Um, Maybe yeah. we'll come into Australia soon. We'll have to catch up if you're looking for coal miners. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, you know, if you had to ask me what's the least thing that I know about resources, it's probably coal. coal. <laughs> so- well, I think I've just never looked into it because... There was, uh, well, personally, it doesn't kind of align with, with my values. Um, we got a lot of dirty coal companies in Australia. But yeah. um, from my understanding, from the, the limited research I have done, is that um, coal as a source of energy is really being phased out. Yeah, it much, seems Much that way. faster than yeah. others. So, like, yeah. obviously, oil's used everywhere. Yeah. Um, Gas is you, gas is being used more and more as coal is dying away. Right. Yeah. And then obviously we've got the renewables, which is hopefully where we want to be in, yeah. the, in the long run. Yeah. But, that um, makes sense. If you just look at the like the the just basic charts of coal demand over time, it's like it's not looking great. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just and it's it's getting econ- economically right. it's getting worse and worse to be in coal. Right. So interesting. I mean, the the thing with Manish is he. He he still likes a cigar butt. He yeah. still likes those. I honestly, I, I haven't really looked at these companies at all. I uh, just kind of wrote down which ones they were. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, yeah. they produce a little bit of cash flow from time yeah. to time, and their prices relative to cash flows are extremely low. Yeah. So it's a low cigar multiples. butt, low multiple. Monish yeah. loves to jump into those, and that's what he's done. What was it? There was some. Was it a Turkish or an Indian company? Like really low multiple. He figured out that man. If this, if they just get like a little bit of multiple expansion, or if they like just keep cash flowing as they are, surely they'll get found, and yep. then they'll, you know, the price will just rise. He'll make a load of money. Yeah. Um. So that's probably. I would imagine you're exactly right that it's a similar kind of bet. It's like, well, sure, maybe the long term future recalls not great, but we're looking at the moment these companies are so cheap. They've got you know good contracts or whatever it is they're yep. selling. You know they've got good cash flows, and the market is just absolutely dropped him so maybe that's his his play yeah yeah exactly ultra value yeah i mean i mean even if the company like if you said the company's not around in 20 years that doesn't mean it's not a good value investment i mean there could be one year left of cash flow but if the stock is cheap enough then yeah. on a mathematical basis it, it, it could make sense so yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of the the cigar but generally the cigar but approach so yeah um, so that's what Monish is um, are doing. But again, you know, most of his portfolio is, uh, unfortunately, we, we can't see it uh, because it's, it's outside of uh, um, the US. So we, he doesn't have to report them on the 13F. Uh, that's Monish. Finally, we have 
Mr. Michael Burry, which, hey. um, yeah, as we, we kind of spoke about, he made or we noticed in his uh, last 13F that uh, he had a short position. Uh, he was buying put options uh, against the S&P and the NASDAQ. It's mm-hmm. basically betting against the, the stock market. Um, and uh, we can now see that he has closed those positions. So they're gone. Um, so they were super short-term um, bets, which um, seemed fairly likely at the time. It, it could have been the case that it was a really big bet with looking for a small decline in the S&P 500 or small decline in the market or a really small bet betting on um, a, a big drop, maybe like a 30% drop or something in the market. Yep. Um, it looks like, especially considering it's closed, it, it, it probably was a very small bet, you know, like basically an insurance policy or a hedge against uh, a large drop in the stock market. Um uh, although we'll never know. Uh, mm. Bury has unfortunately been very silent on Twitter. Usually he's quite active telling us everything he's doing. I want him to come back. Yeah, dude. I want him to come back too. But uh, how, how do we get in touch? We've got to write to him. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you got to start up your Twitter again. Yeah, please come back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was talking to Guy Spear um, when I interviewed him and it was so weird just off camera. Oh, we were just talking about because he's, mm. he's seen that I'd made some content around Michael Burry. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Mike Burry. I was like... <laughs> Wow. Can you get can you get me an interview? Yeah, that that would be crazy. <laughs> but nah, he said he said he doesn't he doesn't know him that well. Yeah, and he, it's so weird because guys just like oh, Brandon, you might find this interesting. And he pulls up his he types in his emails and he's like just searches Mike Burry. Yeah, and he's like I first got in touch with him back in like two thousand, and <laughs> I I wrote out hello hello Mike you know I like your forum posts like back yeah. in that era. It's just crazy because. I did find it really interesting that these guys were talking like way back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, just hectic. It, there's just an email there of Bury being like, well, I see this housing market thing. It looks pretty good, guy. What do you reckon? <laughs> Guy's like, nah. <laughs> I was like, that's rubbish, Mike. <laughs> uh, but that was just such a bizarre moment because we keep up with these people, but we never like imagine they're all like talking to each other and like yeah, nice yeah. Beer, talking like Bill Ackman and talking to yeah Mike Burry <laughs> and Mike Burry's talking to this, but it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. That, that is it crazy. makes, it makes me like my mind blow. Even when they're just like talking like, Hey, how you going? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Just going up to, you know, X, you know, Yosemite for the weekend or something like that. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> it is. That's wild. That's crazy. Um, anyway, sorry. So, um, yeah. So the, the one thing I did note was, um, so during the last quarter, the NASDAQ, which he was betting would, would go down, did drop, but it didn't drop a huge amount. So it's, it's you know, we have no idea if he made money on this. The only way we, we would have known is if the market was down like 50%, like we'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, pretty- he, he, he probably made a lot of money on that. <laughs> yeah. But with it being only down a little bit and the fact that we don't actually know when he closed these positions, we have absolutely no idea. So yeah, anyone's guess. Um, which is unfortunate. Um, but as usual... He uh, completely upended his portfolio as he does every single quarter. He he sells everything and he rebuys, uh, well, he, he buys a bunch of new stocks. So yeah, uh, he yeah completely upended his, his portfolio, sold everything. His biggest positions now are Stellantis at 17% of his portfolio, uh, Nexstar Media at 16%. Uh, and then uh, what do we got down the list? Booking Holdings at 11%. Alibaba, he's back in Alibaba oh, really? at 10%. He had JD.com at about 8% of his portfolio. Uh, there's a lot of companies. He's notorious for having yeah. 15 to 20 stocks at any time. And he sells them all and buys 15 to 20 new ones. So, so I feel like the, the way I'd summarize his strategy, or this is what I think. I don't actually know. Mm. I feel like he's got a, a list of businesses that he has got, because he is a value investor. Yes. I feel like he's got a list of businesses that he thinks are 
good, like solid companies, long-term healthy companies. And this list is like 25, 30 businesses long. And from there, instead of doing what Buffett does, where he just waits until it's cheap, buys it, and then just holds it forever, he takes that list of companies and he mm. just trades them. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty likely. I think he, he's much more interested in um, buy price, sell price, and having yeah. this kind of range of, of intrinsic value and, and getting in and out between as companies kind of bounce around in between those ranges. It seems reason, that way at least. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because um, – he always up upends his portfolio and it's like an entirely new set of stocks every time he puts in a 13F. Hmm. But once you actually start following him for a while, you see it's like the same stocks that kind of bounce in and out. Yep. Like Alibaba's not the first time, you know, yep. curate retail and stuff like that, you know, it comes in and out. Yeah, Some of the private prisons, they come in and out. And you can kind of pick up these yeah. themes that probably these bets where he thinks there is a thesis there over the long run, but he is very price sensitive and he gets in when he wants to and he gets out when he wants to as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think that uh, is is absolutely correct. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um. Obviously, we there's can't go through every single thirteen app filing, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. But um, those were the main ones that stood out to me. Um. Yep. So. So. And yeah. for those that ask us, uh, where do we get this information? Uh, usually we just look at Data Roma. That's a really good website. They've yep. got like seventy something, eighty odd super investors. Yeah. Um. All the big names are there. And it's really nicely summarized. That's not the only one. Yeah. The only thing I would add on top of that is um, there's a website called Whale Wisdom. That's a good uh, one. And that one will show you um, put and call option, the options contracts that are held yeah. in these positions, whereas Data Roma does not show that. So Data Roma is really like the good place to look because it's like the easiest to read and to look. You can just look through the names of the super investors there. Um, but then you can also jump over to Whale Wisdom and see, especially with someone like Michael Burry, who often has... Uh, put option contracts or, or or call option contracts. You can kind of see what short-term bets he's he's um, placing yeah. as well. Yeah, cool. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. Is that, uh, that's the 13Fs, eh? That's, that's it. Um, um, what do you want to talk about next? Let's, um... Can we talk about the Vegas Grand Prix just because I want to? Yes. Yeah, I feel like this <laughs> snuck up so quickly. I Yeah, it did. Uh, it, it felt you like... remember when we were talking about we wanted to go? <laughs> yeah. We were actually like, can we go to this thing? Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe next year if they do it again. <laughs> yeah, well, th this is the weird thing, right? And I'll t maybe talk about this in a second. When we first looked, ticket prices, they're like 10,000 USD. Crazy. Like, it was just, it was clear from the yeah. outset that they wanted this to be a high roller event. Yeah, and, and Vegas is already quite expensive in of itself. I mean, yeah. most of the hotels on the Strip are ex really expensive. And then certainly during that event, you'd have to be off the Strip. And it, it is just an expensive trip in and of itself but then you add yeah, the Grand Prix on top of it and it becomes this massive thing yeah um, plus for us like flights and everything that course, goes along with yeah. it like it's it would have been I mean maybe if it was a little bit more re reasonably priced like as a once in a lifetime thing like yeah. oh we gotta go to the Vegas Grand Prix yeah, that's yeah. Like crazy but yeah very expensive um, but yeah so after months of I guess it's fair to say completely disrupting Vegas <laughs> with construction and roadworks um, the last Vegas Grand Prix is on. I mean, they were, they, the, yeah. <laughs> when we, when we were there, we were there May, May, yeah, in May. And what is it? November. 
Yeah. So we were there in May and half the strip was just being torn up yeah, because they were resurfacing. Yeah, they'd already done a significant portion of it, I think, when yeah. we were there. So They were just going section by section down the whole strip. Crazy. And so It's, it's yeah. been and a project, yeah. And this was the EDC, so there's already a lot of traffic, but that just made the traffic just oh. brutal. Having the strip, yeah. parts of the strip closed, oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was 26 months ago when engineers from Tilk, a German firm responsible for designing 11 current F1 tracks, gave the green light that they could transform the busy streets of Las Vegas, including a stretch of the strip, into a racetrack. Mm. The streets would be... The streets would have to be suitable for high-performance vehicles traveling up to 212 miles per hour, the estimated top speed this weekend. It's pretty insane. Preparing, preparing the roads for F1 races meant moving, uh, removing 5 to 10 inches of asphalt and replacing it with 60,000 tons of base layer pavement and an additional 43,000 tons of intermediate pavement and uh, race layer surface. Crazy. Um, yeah, it's the, the, the stats behind, like organizing one of these things, especially a new one. Yeah. Un, it's just crazy, Jeez. crazy. Um, the track needed 1,750 light units to illuminate it at night. <laughs> uh, other temporary additions to the city include 18 grandstands, uh, 10 hospitality club structures, 7.6 miles of track barriers, four extra vehicular bit bridges and three pedestrian bridges. Wow. And, like that's that's a lot, but you also have to remember that this is like right in the middle of the city. <laughs> yeah. So like this is not like in the sticks where they just got to yeah. build this thing yeah. and no one's interrupted. They have to build this in the middle of Las like Las Vegas Boulevard is yeah. where they're building it. Yeah, it it is crazy. Oh. It's hectic. Yeah, um, they, they, I've I've seen a lot of uh, crazy images coming out of Vegas. Mm. Like even weird stuff. Like they had to uh, uh the giant palm trees along the Bellagio fountain mm. ripped them out. Yeah. Oh no. They had to rip them out oh, to put, oh, to put grandstands they there. Put it back. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Venetian, how they have that nice pool area. Uh, yeah. 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 Drained grandstand over the top of wow, it. Now. It's crazy. Yeah. That's gotta be, I mean, obviously there's so much money, but there's gotta yeah. be so much like logistics and like, okay, how much are we got to pay you to do this? And then, yeah. Jesus. The little boat people have the week off. The people that, <laughs> on the, uh, yeah, take people they, on the they boats. Call it gondolas, yeah, yeah, gondolas. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so yeah, it's it's a big thing. But uh, a bit of history. So uh, the Las Vegas Grand Prix also is the only Formula One race owned by the company that owns F1, um, which is Liberty Media, based in the Denver area. They bought F1 for 4.6 billion back in 2017, and in 2019, the group began eyeing Nevada for its next new circuit. The deal between Liberty F1, the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, and with the casino partners, including MGM, Caesars, and Wynn, is for three years, but the intent is to stay there for much longer. Oh, right. F- so they're, they're actually going to do multiple events there. Definitely. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's actually, that, that makes a lot more sense. I thought it was just for one year. No, I was like, this no. is a crazy. This is like a permanent fixture, yeah. as I'll talk about in, in, in a second. Yeah. Um, in February 2023, Clark County, uh, which has jurisdiction over the Strip, passed a resolution supporting closing of the roads to make the race possible for at least 10 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why it's been so brutal, brutal this time around is because um, all of this resurfacing 
is like the road is designed to last for like 10 years. That now. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a proper racetrack surface that they're putting in, right. which is kind of cool because then when it opens back up, people just driving along the strip yeah. normally would wow. just be like on this, per- this road is beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Best road in the US. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Formula One bought a block of land just off the strip um, a couple of years ago, I think, for $240 million. Right. So they actually bought a block of land. And then on that block of land, that's where they build the permanent uh, pit straight uh, structures. Right. So the paddock. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, then then the rest of it is the temporary gotcha. as the race weekend happens. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Interesting. The construction of the paddock building and its facilities is estimated at $480 million. So there's a lot of money going into it, really. Yeah. To, so they've got to get some money out of it. Please. Yeah. Um, the concept of a permanent race has been a challenge for locals and tourists. This is where it gets hard. Who have had their plans disrupted by F1 for nearly a year. Not only did resurfacing the strip lead to lane closures and other traffic frustrations, but the construction also extended to the side streets and back roads that locals have long used to avoid the congestion of Las Vegas Boulevard. Right. This left the typical 20-minute commutes home taking up to an hour. So that's, that's the real hard bit that Vegas residents have had to live with. Yeah. Uh, because it's not like just, oh, we're just going to pop this thing up for the weekend. Sorry, <laughs> you know, Las Vegas Boulevard's closed for the weekend. Like they've had to do this prep work for like months, if not years at this point. Like when, when we were there, they were literally tearing up the strip and that was half a year ago. Yeah, it was, I was going to say, it was bad enough, but people were still driving down the strip, at least when we were there, yeah. at least parts of it. But it, yeah, now it's it must be just, must have just been chaos the last couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> must have been so bad. Uh, yeah, a few weeks before race day, organizers put a film on the glass barriers over the pedestrian bridges. So you know all those pedestrian bridges that go over yeah. Las Vegas Boulevard that we were walking over? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're still open because people need to obviously walk around the strip. Yeah. But they've put up massive glass um, like film so you can't see out of the – you can't see over the bridge. Right. So that when – the idea is that when the – because the cars go down Las Vegas Boulevard and people still need to walk over the, those bridges oh. so you can't see the race. Right, so people won't stop there, I yeah. guess. And yeah, just but that's the away. thing. People are getting so annoyed because unfortunately, like, America is still pretty new to F1. They don't really... Mm. It's it's new for them. Yeah. Um, or it's, it's it's not new for them. They've had Coda for a long time, but it's it's only getting popular now. Yeah. And for a lot of these people, especially it's ne- it hasn't been in Las Vegas in the modern era, they don't understand that um, they need to block... They like this happens everywhere. They do need to block um, the view lines from the bridges, the pedestrian access bridges, mm. because people do just stop just there. there yeah. yeah, when the race is going, like it's supposed to be, it's supposed to help you get over the top of the track from yeah. this part of the paddock to the other. Yeah, and it is a safety thing. Like, yeah, you can't have people. I, as much as this sucks, because you know it's a great view of the racetrack, you can't have people yeah. stopping on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. It, do, <laughs> it does make perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, it needs to. You need to be the traffic needs to be flowing because there's so many people there. It needs to keep flowing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's uh, that's something that annoyed people. So they've been like, there's footage of people like ripping the films off and like, but <laughs> of course. yeah, yeah, like getting really angry at it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the end, um, it's expected to fuel $1.3 billion in economic activity. Well, Las Vegas tourism and F1 officials estimate estimate uh, more than twice the projected total for the 2024 Super Bowl. Uh, F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix CEO Renee Wilm said 140,000 visitors are anticipated at the event. That is crazy. Yeah. And, and 
with the way that it's set up, it's it's just there to chew money from people. Like with yeah. the casinos and the food is expensive and the Vegas is already like that. That's what I mean. Like yeah. you, you're putting this event there, like you're sending people into a place where they are going to spend an enormous amount of money yeah. outside of the race, let alone on the race. Yeah. Um, so The only interesting thing is that um, it, it seems as though they um, – they they pushed it a little bit too hard at the start. They were aiming mm. too high because in the last month or so, yeah. like as the race is fast approaching, that very curious things happened, Hamish. All of the hotels mm. on the strip are getting way cheaper mm. for the Grand Prix weekend. And the tickets <laughs> are now starting to come down in price. Yeah, so yeah, maybe they maybe they just did the numbers wrong. Awkward. Yeah. Uh-oh. It's actually quite funny. Like apparently you can get at the start, what were they? They wanted like $6,000 for the weekend at one of the Vegas hotels. And now right. they're settling for like 400 bucks. That's crazy. Yeah. Usually it's like the other way around. Usually, yeah. usually they the start out cheap and as the, as they sell and you can, you know, yeah. raise your price. So it's funny, but I guess, yeah, I guess they just thought, I don't know. I guess they thought there'd be an, yeah. the demand for it. So um, there's a bit of criticism on F1 at the moment for cash grabbing or yeah. trying to cash grab too hard, especially because yeah. uh, like, Yes, it's been so popularized with Drive to Survive on Netflix, yeah. but they still they're being criticized. They don't quite have that foothold, especially in a new market like Vegas, where they haven't went to, or haven't gone to. But like Texas is fine. Yeah, they've had it in Texas at Coda for yeah. ages, so they're all used to it. They love it. But new market, high rollers like Vegas, still on the fence, hasn't quite worked out. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what the crowds are like. Yeah, over the weekend. Yeah, where's this empty stance? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we guess we'll see. Well, on the live stream uh, of the open opening ceremony, where yeah. they had heaps of acts come on and sing songs, and they had the drivers do their little parade and everything yeah. like that. Um, There's so many empty seats. Oh, really? Yeah. And on the live stream, they were just playing fake crowd noise the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So they must be a little bit concerned. That's about insane. It. That, that 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 yeah, that's that's really surprising. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Well, hopefully, um, I'm looking forward hopefully to it. Hopefully, they still. don't go bankrupt trying to do this. Yeah, <laughs> so I want to see I more. Of it. I haven't even seen the first one. I want to see more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, <clears throat> that's the Vegas Grand Prix, everyone. There you go. And the, a little bit of the economics and the uh, logistics behind it. It's quite interesting, I think. Yeah, the num the numbers are just so insane for yeah. Formula One. Like, yeah. it's just yeah, it, I, and it's crazy that like they just like thinking, hmm, should we buy a block of land next to the strip? Can we turn? We have to resurface all the roads. We have to build 20-something grandstands. We have to build the paddock. Yeah. And it's going to cost like $500 million. Um, yeah, let's do Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's that's an obvious one. And it just, it just like happened. Yeah. Like, it, like no, it didn't just fail halfway through. You know yeah. what I mean? I guess projects do fail from time to time, but yeah, it's... There's, it, there's enough money in it. Hamish. Yeah, if you've got enough, you've got enough money to throw at it. Yeah, it's just crazy that, yeah, organizing all of that and being able to do it. Insane. So now there's a permanent paddock club in Vegas with a big, massive F1 logo, right. uh, LED logo on the, on the roof oh, of the paddock cool. club. So that'll be a permanent fixture to Vegas from now on, which wow, is cool. Wow, there you go. The latest brand on that, yep. on that strip. To join, this, yeah, to join the strip. All right, Hamish. Let's, um... Let, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about McDonald's and uh, and Hungry Jacks. Um, yeah, which is not a great story to talk about because it's one p.m. here and I'm very hungry. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll go get some after. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's uh, yeah, uh, McDonald's and Hungry Jacks have been in a court battle. We, uh, did we did we talk about this when this first happened? I feel like we might have, but it was so long ago that I'll give a complete refresher right. of what the situation is. Yeah, I might need um, it. But this was back in 2020, and I I reckon we probably did talk about this. But in 2020, uh, Hungry Jacks, uh, which is the Australian Burger King, for those outside of Australia, 
they released a burger called the Big Jack. Uh, essentially, not essentially, as a direct competitor to McDonald's Big Mac. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I say direct competitor, I mean it's it's the it's the it's the same yeah. burger. It was ex- pretty much the identical I, burger. I haven't heard of what do you call it? A Big Mac? I haven't heard that. I've heard of the Big Jack before. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard of a big. Big Mac. Yeah, big, big. What's the Mac, Mac mean? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, never heard of it. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. So so Hungry Jacks came out with this burger, obviously being a bit cheeky and and having yeah. a go at um, McDonald's. And and their their thing was that it it was uh it was a it was a Big Mac, the same shape, the three layers of, of bun right. or whatever, but it was bigger. Um, that was like the whole thing. It was like okay, it's just a better Big Mac, basically. Well, they should have just called it Bigger Mac. Yeah, well, they should have. Well, maybe they would have been in worse legal trouble if they'd done that. Maybe. But regardless, yeah, McDonald's was was not having it. Um, they very quickly, McDonald's Asia Pacific, sued Hungry Jacks in federal court uh, in mm. Australia, arguing that Hungry Jacks was infringing on their Big Mac trademark. So um, how? how? How how dare they? How dare they? Um, and essentially, they were arguing that... Uh, they were in danger of deceiving. Hungry Jacks was in danger of deceiving consumers that its products were being sold at rival stores. So their argument was basically that people would see Big Jack and think the McDonald's had just allowed the yeah. burger to be sold yeah. <laughs> at a rival restaurant, which I don't know if that's ever happened in the history no. of restaurants. <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to really not know anything to believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. And the funny thing is, McDonald's kind of like walked straight into Hungry Jack's plans because immediately after they got sued, they ran another advertising campaign that they'd already obviously been working on specifically referencing the court case. So this was, I think, Hungry Jack's plan all along was essentially to bait McDonald's into a lawsuit and then advertise uh, and run an advertising campaign about McDonald's, basically smearing McDonald's for for suing them. Right. Um, And it essentially allowed Hungry Jack's to come out and say, in the ad, they were like, uh, there's no confusion because the Big Jack has 25% more Aussie beef. Basically saying there's no confusion. <laughs> Ours is just way bigger. That's so funny. It's very, very cheeky. Ding, ding, it's, ding. Uh, I, I that is it was a great play. Uh, McDonald's so think, have walked into it. I, I think so. And I think, you know, give give a round of applause to Hungry Jack's marketing team yeah, for, that's for, for putting that together. They I mean, it's risky. They, they obviously ran, I, well, I hope they ran the numbers on getting sued and what's, maybe <laughs> that's going to cost them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they decided, you know, it's worth it. We get a bunch of free publicity. Yeah. We get to run our own advertising campaign. Um, and also we get to sell a burger that is verifiably very popular, essentially. Uh, yeah. Well, at least that style of burger. Um, so that's what happened in 2020. And, and, and that's kind of the core case that's been kind of playing out over the last couple of years. Um, McDonald's argument uh, essentially came down to the fact that the burgers were very visually similar, which they yeah. are. I've just looked them up. Yeah, they are. They do look visually similar. They are visually simu- similar. Um, and the name is is kind of a play on words. You know, Big Jack is obviously a play on words of, of Big Mac. Um, yep. Hungry Jack's argument, <clears throat> uh, the, the chief marketing officer said, uh, while there was an element of cheekiness in the name, I did not consider there to be any risk that consumers would confuse the trade source of the Big Jack hamburger with the source uh, of the uh, Big Mac hamburger. Uh, Big Mac hamburger. So... Basically saying no, we didn't intend on confusing um, consumers um, because that's ridiculous. Like, well, how could someone be confused that you know there's a McDonald's burger being sold in a different restaurant? Was essentially yeah. their argument. And uh, the court agreed. Um, that's the news this oh. week. The court agreed with Hungry Jacks. Um, 
and basically uh, dismissed the case. So in a judgment handed down on Thursday, Justice Stephen Burley ruled that Hungry Jack's Big Jack and Mega Jack were not deceptively similar to McDonald's burger and that they did not infringe on the rival's trademark. The justice said, uh, McDonald's pleads that Hungry Jack's deliberately adopted the Big Jack and Mega Jack marks for the purpose of promoting uh, in the mind of consumers a connection or affiliation between Big Mac and Mega Mac hamburgers, uh, Justice Burley said. Interesting. Um, yeah, hectic. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad that this they didn't side with McDonald's. That would have just been so sad. Like, oh. Yeah. It, I hate it when but, stuff like this gets shot down. Like, it's just a play on words. It, like, it's just, like, obviously they're comparing it to the Big Mac, but, like, good. Yeah. I mean, if they can make a bigger, better burger, then good. Yeah. That's good for the consumer. Yeah. If they can run their ads and say, oh, the only difference is that we put more in our burger, so come buy ours. That's yeah. good. Make Macca's offer a better product. Yeah, yeah. It, it's good that they can't, like, basically trademark the three that this the way that the burger was made that's like that would be pretty insane if yeah. they could they could trademark how a burger looks well, basically you yeah like you can't the, put the three layer kind nah, of you can't put no, can't put know. a bit of bread in between your burger yeah. basically yeah sorry um but there was one win for mcdonald's which i thought was a funny <laughs> funny oh, okay. outcome of this um hungry jacks got a little bit too cheeky in their advertising so remember how they said that their burger was 25 percent more Aussie beef. Uh-huh. Well, McDonald's called them on this and said, no, it's not. Oh, really? So in court, they weighed and compared the <laughs> beef in the burgers and found that uh, the Big Jack only had 12 to 15% more beef. Lol. So the court found uh, that Hungry Jacks had breached Australian consumer law. Um, like so, false so, advertising. So they got That's fined. That's so funny. Which I thought was kind of a funny twist of events. Like McDonald's being like, wait a second. Let's weigh them. Yeah. <laughs> weigh it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring in the jacks. Bring in the yeah. jacks and bring in the max. Like, yeah, someone bringing in like a burger on a pillow. Like, <laughs> yeah. In the left corner, in the blue corner, yeah. we have the Big Mac yeah. weighing in it. <laughs> so, so there you go. A, um, a fast food uh, restaurant deceptively marketing in an ad. That's not the first time that's happened, um, if you've been paying attention. I don't think I've ever had a burger look how it looks in the ad or on the on the billboard. Yeah. I, I think that's the overarching issue here. Can we take them to court? Can we take all of them to court yeah. for misleading advertising? Yeah. It's for showing it's- us the most beautiful burger that I really want to eat yeah, and it- giving me some slop. Yeah. It is, the it's- patties here, the cheese is like hanging off it. Yeah. The burger bun's like... Not even close. Nah, Not even yeah. close. <laughs> it's funny that that is allowed. Like they're allowed to like show this burger that is just like... Specimen this burger never exists. Like you only see that burger in your dreams. Like... <laughs> Like no one's ever made a burger. Like the, have you seen the way they make those burgers for the ads as well? Like yeah, it's all like, glue and yeah, like glued together and like they spray it and then it's just yeah, like yeah. Like it's not a bur- it's not even a real burger. Yeah. Like it's yeah. fake. Yeah. So, anyway. It's hectic. And they like they only just very minorly cook things so that it doesn't like look too cooked and that sort of yeah, it's, yeah. It's ridiculous. Crazy. It's crazy. So anyway, there you go. I think that's a that's a win for Hungry Jacks though. Even though they got that slight yeah. loss of being a little bit um ambitious in their advertising. Uh Good job, Hungry Jacks. I respect yeah. it. Uh, but I still will eat at McDonald's. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Hamish, tell me about uh, what's going on with uh, inflation. Yes. Uh, yes, we got US uh, October inflation. Nothing crazy. So I'll kind of go relatively quickly through this. Uh, headline CPI came in uh, for the month of October of th- at th- 3.2%, um, which is obviously qu- quite good uh, for yep. a headline number. Month over month. So just in October, how much inflation was there? How much increases were there in prices in October? Zero percent. So there was zero inflation in October on a headline basis, although 
Uh, of course, uh, we can also look at the core CPI, which strips out the volatile food and energy segments. Year-over-year, uh, year, core CPI rose at 4% year-over-year, year, so a little bit worse than headline inflation and certainly still outside of that you know, 2 to 3% range um, that, um, that most countries are trying to get to. Yep. And on a month-over-month month basis, this was a, a 0.2% increase, so pretty modest increase um, overall, which is pretty good news. Um, nice. Overall, yeah, inflation has just continued to improve in the U.S. Uh, declines in the energy uh, categories continue to drive uh, inflation down. Gasoline was down 5% month-over-month. Month. Food rose just 0.3% month-over-month, and uh, transportation was the biggest increase at 0.8% month-over-month. Uh, transportation was also the biggest category for annual inflation, um, followed by uh, shelter at 6.7%. Right. Um, so that's yeah, pretty much it. The only other thing I'll note is that uh, the CME uh, group uh, uh, data, which um, does some kind of research on, on uh, market movements, uh, now sees that the market is pricing a near 0% chance of any further rate hikes. So essentially, financial markets think that because inflation has continued to improve, there's no more rate hikes. Right. Um, which, um, you know, the market is wrong sometimes, shockingly. But uh, interesting to see that uh, the market doesn't think Jerome will get his final rate hike, which he's kind of wanted to do. <laughs> Jerome's final hike. His final hike. <laughs> the final pull of the lever, you know. He's been, he's been kind of baiting it for just a while. Just one more, Mom. He wants to do one more, more this year. There's only one month left, so will he do it? Oh, I feel like I'm go. talking about sports here. <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it is weird. Inflation is just like sport now. Yeah. What's what's next month's game going to look like? Yeah. Are they going to raise rates? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. There, there you go. I mean, that's good. No inflation month over month. Headline 3.2, core 4, still too high, but and I'm sure Jerome will say the same. Inflation is still persistent, too high. But whether they raise the rates or not, anybody's guess, I don't know. Yeah. There you go. What are they going to do, Hamish? Tell me. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's my official. What? That's my official position. I thought, don't don't you have like a YouTube channel that's where you my... like talk about the stock market? Aren't you like good at this? Oh, is this off? Is this is this off the record? <laughs> <laughs> this is well and truly on the record. No, let's move on. Yeah. Um. All right, mate. What should we do? Uh, we have covered everything. Let's do yeah. a couple of Q and A questions. Yeah. Oh, here I've got one for you. Um, we got this on our last episode. Would you say that hectic is your new favorite word? Oh, hectic is hectic, bro. <laughs> hectic is just so hectic. Yeah? Yeah. I think that's your favorite word at the moment. It is. Yeah? I don't know where I pick it up from. It's not an original thought. I have very few original thoughts. <laughs> I'm just yeah, wondering where I've... You know how you, you kind of pick hmm. words, phrases, things up from other people yeah. or other things? That you, I'm, I'm wondering where I've um, picked up hectic. Hectic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Someone. Hmm. Maybe it's a brand of Vanderkolk original. So, so what do you like about the word hectic? This, this is a deep question. I need, I need, I need a, oh, you need I need a five yeah, ten minute yeah. answer on this. Oh, right? okay, geez. <laughs> it's kind of like the structure. I mean, I like two syllable words. Hectic. Yeah. It kind of flows like it's, it's got a kind of harsh sound at the end in in the middle. Hectic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Snappy. Yeah. Yeah. You can also say it very quickly. It doesn't get you bogged down. Yep. And uh, it has a little pizzazz. It has a little impact. Wow. You know? That's just beautiful. Um, <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, can we move on to an actual question? Please? Yeah, I'll give you a. I'll give you an actual question. Um, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, we had a couple of interesting questions about. Um, just aside from investing, actually, just about YouTube and and uh, and kind of side hustles. Um, yeah. that maybe I thought we'd answer. Uh, did either of you starting out on YouTube promote your channels? And if so, how? Uh, so I guess the question is, did we do any kind of 
like we're making videos on YouTube, but outside of YouTube, did we, you know, do anything where we like to, to yeah. do any extra promotion or bringing extra traffic on? I didn't. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't think it's worth it. Honestly, no. it, the algorithm is a bajillion times more powerful it's than, insane. yeah, than anything you can like posting it on Facebook or yeah. telling your friends about it. It's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. You just got to make good content and you got to let the algorithm do its thing. I mean, yeah. if, if you make really good content, if, okay, if you have no subscribers, so no one's regularly tuning in and you have no friends, let's say. So yeah. you're basically like Hamish over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but if you have like no subscribers and you just make really, really, really good content, you will get subscribers. Yeah. Like it's plain as simple. Yeah. You don't need to try and game the system by getting friends to click your videos or watching it on repeat or anything like that. You just need to yeah. focus more on your content. Yeah. yeah, good content, and then there's obviously like an, an element of time. Like you've got to be, yep. you got to put in that consistency and build somewhat of a brand on 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 YouTube, so that when people see you know you in the recommended, they're like, oh, I saw his last three videos, his or her last three videos, and they're really really good, so I'm going to click. And that's a huge part of YouTube is some part. Sometimes it just takes a bit of time to just yeah. not only get better at making content, but to build that trust with your audience. Uh, yeah. But once you, you know, can get that, it's like a, you know, you get the snowball rolling. You do. Um, that YouTube, the U YouTube's own promotional avenue, which is the algorithm is, is incredibly powerful. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, you I just got to persist. Yeah. And, and you got to keep striving for that one video that launches everything. Yeah. You know what I will say, maybe it's related to this. One thing I did do starting out was I tried to collaborate as much as possible with other channels in oh, the yeah. finance space. So I guess you could call that promotion in, in some aspects, yeah. like where I would go on their channel, they would come on mine, and then maybe we kind of expose each other's audiences. I don't know if that's as relevant today as it was when we're getting started. Um, yeah, just, be, just because I think that I don't, the algorithm is it's so it's just so good. Like yeah. I think you probably could accelerate your growth maybe at the beginning by doing some of those things, being in the comment section of other people's videos, and just making sure people are aware that you're you know you're in the community and contributing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that algorithm is just, yeah, it really is just a case of make good videos, get better at making good videos and, and do it consistently. Yep. All right. Let me ask you um, this one here that we've had sitting in the document for a while. Um, how can I use the discounted cash flow model on a company that doesn't have free cash flow? Uh, this is in part due to this company using free cash flow for growth, hmm. but I don't know how much goes to growth and how much goes to maintenance. Yeah. I think. Um, you know, the, sh the short answer th to this question is you, you can't really, um, obviously that's, that's going to come up from time to time. You'll have these yeah. great companies that are putting all of their free cash flow back into growth. Um, but in order to f figure out what the company is worth, you are going to have to have some gauge of how much of what they spend of that cash flow that's going out, how much of it is necessary just to maintain the business and how much of it is, you know, extra uh, uh, spending that they're choosing to do in order to grow the, the business. Um, and if you can't, a lot of the time you can't um, to make a difference, di differentiation between those two. Um, there just isn't enough information. Um, but you kind of need to, in order to be able to, to invest in a company, if it doesn't have any free cash flow, um, you know, left over um, after their capital expenditures. So um, I would say, Personally, I would say I would I, I, I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I don't have any thoughts. I, I'm, yeah. I'm the same. The only thing I, I, I will add on top of that is that's more of a, you know, I guess a, probably a Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger value investing thought process. Um, 
when it comes to kind of traditional corporate finance, there are models for assessing companies that are unprofitable and for assessing brand new companies or assessing mature companies. So if you go down the traditional finance route, there will be methods that are taught um, and you can probably find a bunch of them on, on YouTube um, that will teach you how to do these specific things. Um, whereas a Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger would probably say, don't even try. It's too difficult of a task. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I would say. Yep. Go see Aswath Demodoran's channel. Yes. That's the name I was, um, I was blanking on the name. So that's thanks right. for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Aswath Demodoran. He is just the, what do they call him? Like the valuation, I don't know. The Dean of Valuation. Dean of Valuation. Yeah. I think right. he, so he teaches at, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the school as well now. Um, blanking on everything. It's a, We're getting I, hungry. Yeah, I am getting hungry. But, uh, <laughs> he, he teaches at a, at a school. He, he uploads lectures. So you can just watch full. Yeah. He teaches valuation at university uh, or college in, in the US. So you can literally just watch his entire thing, his entire course and just take the course yeah. if you wanted to learn all of the ins and outs of valuation. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely coach it. All right, guys. We're hungry. So we're going to go get some lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. I always like the ones that we do in person. They're just so easy. Yeah, chill. Uh, it just flows very well. We had some really interesting topics, I think, to talk about today. But yeah, thanks guys very much for tuning in. Um, hopefully we can do more of these in the future. Finally dragged Hamish up to Canberra. Yeah. So, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll come back. Soon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah sometime. I, I was a little scared, but it's, it's it's not too bad in here, you know? Yeah, we don't bite. You know, it's not, it's not too bad. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, guys, we are going to bounce. We're going to go to Macca's. We're going to get a Big Jack, a uh, Big Mac. Uh, which one? Uh, Wait, which one? Uh, who sells who? Which again? I, I don't know. I feel, so de- I feel deceived. It's, it's so hard to, to know these days. <laughs> yeah. so, so Advertising cool. corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys.